Thanks for joining us for part three of our journey to the top of Sani. Just before we say our goodbyes to Bulwa, we make a quick stop in at the old Yellowwood Church. This little historical church was built in 1885 from hand-sawn Yellowwood timber, and it's situated on the old wagon road, which was the main transport route between Marisburg and Heimville. The church is open to visitors, and services still take place on the first Sunday of every month. The church was renovated in 1989 and it still attracts historians and a lot of visitors from around the country. The church is a little bit isolated, but it's never locked, so you can just pop in for a visit. Our journey then continues on the R617. We drive for about 22 kilometers in the direction of Underberg and take the turn off towards Reichenau Mission. Reichenau is a little sustainable village which has literally been running on water since it was established by Trappist monks in the 19th century. Here we first talk to Hugh Bland, one of the great chroniclers of the architectural history of KZN and the publisher of The Trappist Missions, KwaZulu-Natal's Forgotten Treasure. Hugh Bland, welcome to the show. Tell us how you got interested in Reichenau and the Trappist missions in KZN. Holger, thanks very much. Um, I'm not a uh, Catholic, but in my travels around KwaZulu-Natal, where I've done 85,000 images that are up on my website, I kept bumping into these mission stations. And I used to come back home or amongst my colleagues and say, what are these? And no one knew about them. And so that sort of piqued my interest. And um, so I started doing some research into it and realized that there was a lot more to the story than met the eye. And that's actually one of the reasons why I call it KwaZulu-Natal's Forgotten Treasures. Because Abbot Fanner, who came out to South Africa, firstly to the Eastern Cape on the Sundays River, his with 30 monks, and they were all of the Trappist order, so the Cistercian order, the strict observance. Their venture failed there, and they then asked Bishop Jolivet to allow them to set up uh, an, an abbey in... South Africa, and Marion Hill on the Amschlatuzana River was their first venture, and it became the first abbey in Africa, um, which a lot of people don't know that either. And the more I got into this, the more I realized this was a deep, deep story. And Abbot Fanner, he came out to this country in, as I say, 1880, age 50, and he set up Marion Hill, became the first abbey. He had come out from Austria. He was an Austrian monk. And um, so he set this, this monastery up, and from then he was asked by other members of mainly the indigenous community to establish schools uh, 
and churches in the area. And Reichenau was his first monastery that he set up after Marion Hill. So that is special in a way because it actually forced him to create other monasteries in between. Because it was so far away. Because it was so far away. And part of the rules of the Trappist order was to that they had to sleep under um, a consecrated or whatever um, establishment on the way. So they then filled in the gaps. Okay. Um, and I think we should maybe consider doing a whole series about all the, <laughs> all the monasteries. But tell us about Reichenau. So it's... Um, it's about, how far would you say from Marion Hill? About two hours? It's at least two hours, yeah. yeah. So um, it's two hours from Marion Hill, but it's also um, about 10 kilometers from Underberg. Yeah. So it's very close to Underberg and it's very accessible. Um, and I was just trying to reach here where... Reich and I was set up in about 1886. Okay. So it was four years after he had sort of established Marion Hill. And what, um, let's, talk, let's talk about the traveler who's taking this journey that we're talking about. What, what is there to see and to do? You know, if you, if you travel along the road, the Bulwer Road, the first closest one is Icy Dell, which was set up after Reichenau, and then if that's near Eston. Okay. <clears throat> then if you carry along, you, you'll see Mariatal on the left-hand side, which is just outside Icopa. It's opposite where the Buddhist retreat is. That was also linked to St. Isidore, but is currently called um, King's Grant, which is run by um, the Biggs family, Cheryl and Tim Biggs, and they have visitors there. And that was the farm that used to supply produce and goods to the Mariatal mission. So those are all very close to the road. The Probably the next closest along the way is if you take the Donnybrook Road, you'll get to Kevala, which is um, sort of off the route, but is accessible on a tar road and then one carries on to to towards Underberg and 10 k's before Underberg on the right you can turn off and then I can carry on because there's obviously many others mm. and like Centercar Centercar is a, a beautiful mission it's got two churches it has the Gerard Bengu gallery in the one which was restored and then the other one is still used as a, as a church. There's a hospital attached to the church, uh, the, the mission. And that's what you'll find in most of these missions is that there is a church and sometimes, uh, sorry, not a church, a, a school, mm. and then sometimes a hospital attached to those, uh, to those missions as they are now called. Mm. Okay, so for me, the, the, 
the interesting thing about the Trappist is uh, that it is a silent order. And I brought a bottle of beer along, just <laughs> because that's something we share. We like uh, Belgian or Trappist beers. There's, there's about seven or eight monastri monasteries around the world that still make a, a beer within the monastery, and they're allowed to call their beers a Trappist beer. And the one that I brought is La Trappe, and I think their slogan is Taste the Silence. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this one is, is also called Isidore, which has got a, the same name as the original King's Grant. Mm. Yeah. Let, let's just talk about Reichenau because that's on the route. Um, typically, what is can, can one access these monasteries? Of the 22 other monasteries, all of them are in use except for two. Okay. One is Sitta and the other is Clairvo. And Sitta is the only one that doesn't have a church any longer. But Reichenau, to answer your question, has sort of had a mixed history in that from time to time it's encouraged people and at one stage they had a small little coffee shop and people used to go in there, and I know that some people have had their, held their weddings there and spent money in, to improve the mm. improve, um, Reichenau. The, my sort of approach to it has always been just to drive in and, and look for someone around. Normally, you'll find someone around who will help you. Yeah. And... In all of my instances in going to each of these missions, I've never had a bad moment from anyone there. Sometimes it's just been the cleaner who's allowed me in, um, but other times, obviously, I've been welcomed by the father who now runs it, because, of course, the Trappist missions no longer exist as Trappist missions. Mm. They fall under the, um, the oblates, under the Catholic Church. So what were monasteries became mission stations. Okay. But the interesting thing about Reichenau, the most interesting bit, I think, is the old mill. Yeah. Because the mill there was refurbished in the 80s or 90s. I'm not quite sure of the date. And it's very different in that most of the missions um, – mills were water wheels and I think in those days you know places hadn't been dammed there wasn't agriculture pulling off water onto the land so a lot of these streams that you think this can't work in a hundred years ago were running all year so they could mill but most of the mills were had water wheels but Reichenau was very different it's on the Polela River and what they do is they pipe the water down from a waterfall, above a waterfall, and it runs a turbine, which in turn drives the mill through use of cables up to the mill, which is above it. And in the 80s, that was um, refurbished, and they got that mill going again. The 86 floods, I think it was, in Natal, destroyed that turbine on the bottom. So that put an end to the milling. But recently, 
there's been some Underberg people, and I think you know of them. I've um, mentioned them to you. You've had work parties out, and they've actually restored that turbine. And last week, and that's in August, they milled the first flower there again for 20 years or so. So that in itself is interesting. I think they want to mill maize there, um, flour there, and sell it, obviously, to create some funds for the um, local community or the, the church. I think the most striking thing about Reichenau is it's is is the the church. It's a beautiful church, or um, <clears throat> monastery church. Sadly, over the years, it's it's had some water damage to some of the murals, but there are people who are involved in fixing that and restoring it. Um, so it's it really is well worth a visit. Okay, wonderful. And that that sounds like, I mean, if you think about the Trappist monasteries in Europe that are brewing these beers, all that money is used to maintain and, and to rebuild those monasteries. They don't, it's, it's, not a, it's not a for-profit business. So sometimes some of the breweries only make very limited quantities of beers and you can only get what they make. I'm not a fundy on beers and beer making like you are, so I won't pretend to be, but... I mean, I know that, for example, the beer that you brought along, this Le Trap beer is made in Belgium. and It's actually made in the Netherlands, this one. Oh, sorry, Netherlands, yes. Yeah. And that that is the way they sustain themselves, mm. is selling this beer, which is mm. a very popular beer. And amazingly, it's got a shelf life of note. I mean, yeah. you, you know... You can keep that beer for a year and it'll taste as good as the day it was brewed, probably better. Yeah, and it's got a beautiful cork and this is a, a, a beautiful specimen, a 750ml bottle. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes of where to order the beer from the importer and uh, then then you can try these beers and maybe go to a monastery and have a, have a picnic there or something. <laughs> Hugh, thanks very much for joining me on this, on this episode and I'm... Um, I'm very much looking forward to actually going to visit visit Reichenau. And as you may know, my beer book was printed and I actually wrote the book in the Marion Hill Monastery. And that was because I always wanted to open a brewery in the monastery and it wasn't going to happen. I, I had a look at a few properties there. Um, but then I met Rob Riedlinger, who owns a company called Monks Media. And he's very much involved in the publishing of, of literature for the Catholic Church. And he's done that for many, many years. And he helped me put this book together. We printed it on those brand new presses that they had bought. And it was a fantastic experience. We stored all the beers in one of the rooms down in the cellar. And uh, it, was a, it was a breath of fresh air for them because they spent days and days proofreading these books in languages that they don't know and they so they have to proofread everything by letter not by word it's fantastic that the the work that they did there hmm. i don't know if it's still going on but yeah it's a fantastic place well thank you for um having a chat to me i mean you know this is my third book and i i, I sort of get very passionate about the subjects on which i write and you know any sort of help or assistance that these guys can get 
is is welcomed mm. and I just wish our national arts and culture could put some money into these organiza- into these monasteries because it is a national treasure. Yeah. It's not only a provincial ne- treasure, it's a national treasure. And the legacy that's been left behind by this old Austrian monk is amazing. Yeah. They probably provided some of the best schooling in this province. And the, the beauty of these places, you've just got to go and see it. Yeah, fantastic. So where can people get a copy of the Trappist Missions? Um, I sell... I sell the book privately. Okay. Um, so I've actually on my third print of the Trappist oh, Missions. Oh, really? Wonderful. Yeah. And um, so if you can give my email address, people can contact me okay. and I'll willingly sell them. I get excited every time I sell a book. Yeah, yeah, I know the feeling. And just before we finish, the other books that you've done, what are they called? My second book was on Addington Children's Hospital. And again, I was walking past the hospital and it had been closed for 24 years. It had been established in 1930 by um, Mary Seedley, who was the mother of Perla Seedley Gibson, the lady in white. And I snuck in through the door and it was going, like going into a time warp. So I took all these photographs and the hospital had been designed to create comfort for children. So there was lots of murals and sculptures and ceramics done by Mary Steinbank and Vilgevit van Hall, who was her friend. So there was a lot of beautiful, decayed artwork in there. And I, I spent hours in there, and I, I, I shouldn't have been in there, but I, I, I did. And I then had all these images on my, my laptop, and I thought... I can't just let them sit there because they too there's just too much of interest. So that prompted me to write that book, and thankfully the hospital is on the on, on the mend. They are resurrecting it. They've got a very good trust to raise funds. The money goes to the right place. It's just that they need the money to complete the project. Then my next book, which I wrote over COVID, is called New Beginnings which I sort of hope is prophetic because I think we need a new beginning after the time we've had over the last three years. And this is on 40 old homes in KwaZulu-Natal. So I had to research each home. In all of these cases, most of the images I took myself. Um, But this book is about 40 homes that have been repurposed so the message is, instead of going and trashing a building, repurpose it. So a lot of those old homes have become offices or museums or bed and breakfasts or something like that. Places like Ryder Haggard, Ryder Haggard's home in Newcastle, um, Lee Schulitz's original home in Kersney, which became Kersney College and is now a weddings and functions venue. And... So that I've just picked 40 that I've written the story of and published that book. Wonderful. Okay, we'll put a link to that on, on, on the show notes as well and then go off and, and buy these books. Wonderful. Thanks, Hugh. Thank you very much. I really appreciate everything. Thank you. 
That was Hugh Bland, the publisher of the Trappist Missions, KwaZulu-Natal's Forgotten Treasure. And you can contact Hugh via his website, which you can find at kznpr.co.za. And next we're going to speak to Peter Frau, who heads up the non-profit organization that was founded to preserve and restore the Reichenau Mill at this mission. Um, so now we're visiting Peter Frau. Peter has been involved in the restoration of the of the mill at Reichenau. Welcome to the show, Peter. Good to be here. Peter, how did you get involved in this project? Well, I visited the mill uh, in the early uh, 1980s, perhaps around about 1983, 1984. And it was before the... Uh, mill had been partly destroyed uh, by the floods in 1987. So I, I had a bit of an interest in it because I'd seen it before it had been destroyed. And then uh, in late 2006, I visited again and it was it was looking very derelict. And so I, um, I gathered together a little team of, uh, of people who like fixing old things. Uh, some of them were engineers, some uh, farmers, all sorts of guys. And uh, we began work restoring the mill. Just to give a bit of background on the mill itself, uh, Reichenau is the first daughter mission uh, planted out from uh, Marion Hill Monastery. Uh, so uh, uh, Reichenau was established in 1886, and the mill was um, completed in 1896. And at the time, it was probably the most modern mill uh, in Southern Africa. Uh, and this was because um, amongst the Trappists was a, a brother called Brother Nivod Streicher, who was a brilliant engineer and architect, and he believed in being at the cutting edge of whatever technology was doing at the time. So the mill at the time was, uh, was, was very modern. Um, and it, uh, one of the features was it didn't use the classic uh, old water wheel. Uh, Streicher had selected a site adjacent to an, a 12 meter high waterfall. And they sited a turbine at the foot of the waterfall. And that drives up through an endless steel cable running over two large pulleys up to the mill, which is situated at the top of the waterfall. And the mill is also unique in that it, it predated the widespread use of electricity. So everything is mechanical. There's, there's pulleys and belts everywhere, about 15 of them. Mm-hmm. And, and Peter, what, what is your background? Uh, I'm an engineer, mechanical engineer by training. Uh, okay. And uh, yeah, I have a small factory in Pine Town where we build um, computer controlled lathes. Okay, yeah. so not water driven no. belts. <laughs> <laughs> this is very much a, a a diversion, but a very nice one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so we we gradually began work on, firstly, on the mill itself. We found that we could get that restored and running um, fairly quickly. It took about a year. Um, the turbine was a much bigger project because of all the damage sustained by the, by the flood. And we had to get the turbine, which weighed about two tons, out of the gorge. And we were assisted there by the South African Air Force. They've got a big helicopter called Oryx. And uh, they helped us. They airlifted this turbine out and put it on a truck and it was taken down to Pantown. Okay. 
Um, so meanwhile, we, we got the, we decided to fit an electric motor into the mill so that we could at least commission it, get it going. So we were able to get the mill going after about a year or perhaps 18 months. And uh, so, the, so the project uh, altogether took three years to get the mill running completely under water power uh, with the turbine completely restored. We had to build a steel tower to replace the, the stone building which had originally housed the turbine and the lay shaft. So that was quite a project. And so, yeah, the mill, um, in 2009, it, it was uh, fully restored, producing both uh, maize and, uh, and uh, flour. The mill, in fact, has two sets of millstones. Uh, the one is designed to handle maize, the other designed to handle rye or wheat. And they've got slightly different circuits, different cleaning equipment. Then, uh, sadly, the mill was handed over to someone to run because all the work had been done by volunteers and we were mostly travelling up from the Kloof area and uh, we couldn't um, keep travelling up. Now, um, because of various reasons, which I'll just group under the heading of uh, politics and personalities, uh, the mill <laughs> ceased to run at that point and uh, stood... Um, stood unproductive for some 13 years um, until the beginning of this year and a couple of a number of things um, conspired together to make uh, it feasible to start restoring it again. One is um, a, a German couple who spend uh, part of their year out in South Africa um, got very interested in Reichenau and managed to uh, raise some funding mm. to get the restoration going. So that was a very nice uh, hand up. And then there was a there was a new bishop and a new priest and uh, the, the various various political and personal um, factors <laughs> came in line. And so uh, we again a, a small group started the restoration work at the beginning of 2022. And uh, again, it was done by uh, monthly work parties, some folk from the Underberg area and, and, and a number from the, the Pine Town, Kloof area. And so gradually uh, the work uh, went ahead. And after the uh, third work party, we were actually able to run the machinery again under water power. And then the fourth uh, work party, we did some milling, we milled some maize. And then uh, we've just had the, I think it's the fifth, I may have lost count, this past weekend, uh, which was the second and the third of uh, September, we were able to mill wheat for the first time and produce flour. So uh, we've still got uh, some technical problems to resolve, but nothing major. The, the mill actually runs beautifully under water power. And do they, do they grow um, wheat there? Uh, now, unfortunately, um, Underberg area is not, is not a wheat growing area. Okay. It's a maize growing area, and uh, it's, it's something to do with when the rain, rainfall comes. But uh, wheat is grown not far away in the Swartberg area. Yeah. So uh, we, in future, we will be purchasing from that area almost certainly. Um, but at the moment, they've they've reaped the they reap the crop, the next crop will only happen in December sometime. So in the meantime, we've been having to purchase wheat from one of the commercial uh, mills. Okay. 
because it would be nice to to be able to get some stone ground artisanal wheat uh, yeah. flour there. Absolutely. Well, we 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 produced a batch. Uh, we produced about 100 kgs um, on on this past Saturday. Uh, we had some problem with the grading. There's a there's a, a piece of equipment down in the basement of the mill which grades the wheat, and uh, it was. Um, it was sending most, most, a lot of the flour down and mixing it with the bran. So it produ- producing a very nice brown bread flour, but not, <laughs> not, not uh, uh, of, of use for much else. Yeah. So it, it, it produced a small amount of re- really nice flour. But yeah, certainly um, there will, will definitely be a demand by artisanal bakers for, for, for certain, because what's, what is purchased in shops nowadays as stone ground is not really stone ground because the the first stages are still passing through a roller mill. It's okay. only the last stage which is passes through stones, and of course the roller mill because it's a it's it's quite a hot process. It destroys all the nutrients. Uh, okay, does prolong the shelf life, which is why it's it's you know desirable commercially. But um, the Rachenau product will be the real deal because it's it's just millstones. And it's a cool process, so you have all, all the nutrients are, are retained there. And you're not dependent on ESKIM. And you're not dependent on ESKIM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peter, d- just for the, for the travellers or, or the tourists, what is the best uh, way to go there? Do they just go there? Is there somebody that they can contact? Yeah, we, we're still getting organised in terms of the staff. There is a tour guide there, a okay. guy called um, Mdu Zuma. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you just arrive at the mill, uh, chances are the mill will be closed, but there's a sign on the door with his cell number. He will do you a, a, a pretty good tour. He's quite, he's quite knowledgeable. Okay. And he'll give you a tour of the mill and the church if you want it. And uh, the arrangement is you, there's, a, there's a set fee for you to pay him in cash, and then there's a request that you also do an EFT into the mill project account uh, as well. Yeah. And then you, you've set up a, a website. Is that? Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's it's Rachenau. Dot net or something. Okay. I'm not quite sure. We'll look it up and we'll yeah. put it in the notes. Yeah. And um, so that's up and running. Look, it's it's only just gone live, so it's needing a certain amount of editing. Yeah. But um, the uh, the lady who set it up is is out out now. It's one of the ladies who put up the money. Okay. Um, and where do you guys stay when you're there? Do you stay at the monastery? Uh, well, there's um, there's some couple of guest houses right at the at the mission, uh, which are just being set up as Airbnb. Okay. And uh, those will probably be up and running by the end of September, so they're not quite there yet. And then there there are lots of there are lots of B&Bs in the area. The traditional ones, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Peter, thank you very much for your time and, and thanks that we we could meet up so quickly and, and do this recording. Thank you. Thanks very much, Olga. It's uh, more than a pleasure. Thanks again to Hugh Bland, author and publisher of The Trappist Missions, and Peter Frau, who heads up the volunteers at Reichenau Mill. In the next episode, we head to the historical village of Heimville to meet up with David from Dieter Bang Personal Tours. David will then accompany us up the Sani Pass. Thank you for joining us today.